Grab a Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're walking through Corinthians, the Lordship of Jesus. To wrong or to be wronged? That is the question. Here's the answer. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. If any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother takes another to court, and this in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Chapter 6 in 1 Corinthians is a continuing of the train of thought that Paul had in chapter 5. It's very unfortunate that in our modern Bibles we have chapter divisions that tend to divide the flows of thought. But really chapter 6 is coming off of chapter 5. And Paul was talking about this fundamental problem that the Corinthian congregation was not maintaining scriptural standards of righteousness, justice, and mercy. They were not holding to the biblical boundaries that he had established for them. And so really chapter 6 comes off of chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5 where he's talking about divisions where people were aligning themselves with different personalities and with different teachers. And he said, and and besides, in your midst, there are things going on that you brag about, that you're so open-minded, that you're you're so tolerant, that you're so broad-minded. And Paul warned them to say that you need to maintain those scriptural boundaries. And so now in chapter 6, he does the the same thing. And so what Paul challenges us to is how we live our lives with one another. Now listen, there is a different way with people who are not in the kingdom than people that are in the kingdom. We have a special priority and a special obligation to brothers and sisters in Christ. Above all else, above all other loyalties, our loyalty is to be to one another. It is not to be to the loyalties and the ways that the world divides us. Our loyalties as believers are to each other as believers. And we can't let the world dictate how we relate to one another. We are in a special place in the kingdom of God. And we are here by the blood of Jesus. Paul talks over and over. It's about the grace of God who's brought him into this place. And it's the grace of God that brings us in as well. And so we relate to one another or we are to relate to one another differently. Think about the hurts that you have experienced, especially in the kingdom of God. And it was somebody who was not relating to you as a brother or sister in the Lord. They were relating to you and treating to you, uh, uh, treating you in the flesh uh, from their own whatever it is. And they uh, uh, put that on you. And so Paul is saying, listen, we, we can't be divided among teachers. 
we need to maintain those scriptural boundaries. And so here's some very practical ways that Paul gives us to do that. The first thing he tells us is this, is that resolution of disputes should occur within the Christian community. And that's what he talks about in the first few verses of chapter 6. He says, if any of you has a dispute with one another. Now this word means obviously it's a legal complaint. Down in verse 8, he talks about being cheated, and it means to be defrauded. And so it's probably something to do with business or property dealings. You know what that's the heart of business dealings and property dealings. What is it? It's money, right? And that's that thing. And, and so uh, this dispute probably had something to do with money. And boy, how we can get in disputes over money so easily. It divides families that divides us between brothers and sisters. And Paul says to resolve these disputes, you need to do it within the Christian community. He says in verse 2, or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? Paul has this theological basis for addressing the problem. Good theology is essential to right conduct. We need to know what we believe and the truth of what we believe. Although it's not enough to ensure behavior, we have to have a good theology at the basis for our behavior. And so Paul goes from this argument, it's a classic argument of the greater to the lesser. And so what Paul says is that you, as, as the God's holy people, as the saints, you will judge angels. I don't know how this is going to look, and really nobody really does either, but what Paul's saying is this, is that you in the kingdom, you as, as someone who is in Christ, you have a far superior status than even the angels. You as a believer in Jesus, your status is greater than the angels. Remember, this position to judge means it's, it's one from lesser to the greater. And so what, what Paul is saying, you as saints, you as people in Jesus, you are greater than even the angels. And oh, how we love to make a lot about angels and all the wonderful things they do. Listen, if you are in Jesus, you are greater than an angel. You go home and tell somebody that. Hey, I'm greater than an angel. Because <laughs> you are. Your status in Jesus. You are qualified to judge. And so Paul says this. Listen, church, if you are in that place that you will be able to, to judge angels, to, to, to have this, this position, are you not capable of judging the matters among yourselves? I mean, you have this high honor to do this with the angels. And so somehow, surely there is someone among you who is competent to handle these earthly disputes. And so, again, this matter is a, is a legal dealing is something that is is probably it's not a criminal uh, offense it's not a capital offense it's not like somebody murdered somebody and paul's saying you just work it out among yourselves that's not what he's saying but what he's saying is in these dealings where we we can get so caught up and so angry and so anxious and so bitter and vile isn't there somebody among you who can take care of that you're going to judge angels someday and surely this matter compared to that is far less significant Gordon Fee says this, Paul concludes the previous argument by insisting that the church is not to judge those outside, but to judge those inside. Remember, that's the whole point in chapter 5. He says, listen, you, are, you, you judge those inside, those who call themselves believers. And last week we talked about that, that sometimes we get it backwards and we are, we are all about judging the world. We're all about judging those who are not believers. Why, look how awful they are. Paul says, you just let them alone. God's going to take care of them. You worry about yourselves. People in glass houses don't throw stones, right? 
And uh, that's what Paul's saying. You take care of your matters. Don't worry about the, those out there. So Gordon Fee says, that, to judge those out, but let's judge those inside. He said that had to do, first of all, with the expulsion of the incestuous man. He says, but it also has to do with another kind of judgment that must take place within the Christian community, namely matters of everyday life where one member has a grievance against another. And Paul says there's this importance. There's something that happens when we are in the kingdom that we are to look out for one another and and look out for each other's welfare. And and, and when there's grievances and disputes, that somehow to come to a resolution of those things. Now, if these Corinthian Christians were incapable of acting like Christians towards one another, Paul says you're already declaring yourselves incompetent to judge the world. If you can't even take care of yourself. Paul's comments are similar to what happened to him when he stood before Gallio in the book of Acts. Look on your notes. I have this passage in the book of Acts. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to him, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he, he drove them off. We have to know a little bit of the background of the Corinthian church at this time. It's, a, it's likely that given known the inequities in the judicial system of Rome at the time, that the upper class, wealthier members of the Corinthian church were able to take their disputes to courts while the people who had an inferior status were not able to do that because they didn't have the means or the resources to do that. The poor were not able to have a challenge against the wealthy in the courts because the legal privileges apply to those in the upper class. And so this is the problem that Paul is saying. Paul is looking at this Corinthian church, and he says, you know how they do things out in the world? That the wealthy can go to courts? And the poor don't have the means to go to the courts. And so they're denied their justice in your kingdom, in the church. It can't be that way. It has to be different. We are called to be different in the community of Christ. And so part of these court proceedings, there was personal attacks and there was hatred and there was venom. Like that was part of the court proceedings. And you can imagine one wealthy believer or any believer takes another believer to court. And to prove your case, you had to have vicious attacks against your opponent. And this is a brother or sister in the Lord. And so after the court case, you all come back to church. How's that going to go after this acrimony out there in the court system where it was expected for you to be vile in order to win your case? You had to be ruthless. And then you're going to come back in. And Paul's like, no, no, no. It would be better if you settled this among yourselves first of all. What he's saying is don't air your dirty laundry. Right? You don't need to take it out there in the world. You settle it among yourselves. And so the, a fringe benefit of being in the kingdom on the day of judgment, right? There's this, there's this judgment. A.T.P. Uh, Applebury writes this. He says, one of the ways that we judge the world is by our behavior. We act right, rightly. And in our right behavior and in the way that we do that, it brings judgment upon those who are not doing that. He says the church is made up of those who deliberately choose to do God's will and refuse to do the bidding of Satan. He said if men can do this, angels certainly could have done so. The character and conduct of the saints then becomes a means of judging angels that sin. 
Do you know in our lives, our conduct, the way that we live rightly and we live like Jesus can provide a judgment on those angels who didn't follow God and rebelled against him? I don't know about you, but Paul, remember a few chapters ago, said, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. And that's one of the ways, the privileges that we have of being a believer is that in our lifestyle of acting like Jesus, we even bring judgment upon the angels who sinned. Your life is a witness. Your, your life is a, is a testimony to the power of Jesus in your life. But it's also a judgment in a way upon those who have allied themselves with Satan. He says, therefore, settle disputes within the church. Paul asks another question in verse 5. He says, I say this to your shame. Is it possible that there's nobody among you wise enough to judge between disputes between believers? Remember the Corinthian culture. It was all about the wise person. The, the, the wise philosopher would gather a group around him and he would travel and he would speak in wisdom and people would just hang on his words. And so one would align with this philosopher and one would align with that philosopher. And Paul says, listen, you are growing up in a culture that has the benefits and, and, and has value on wisdom. Surely there's somebody in your group who is wise enough to judge disputes of these matters. And so the wisdom that the culture possessed, he says, surely some of you have come from that. He says, what happens is your, your litigation is a compromises your witness between, uh, to a watching world. Think about how believers treat each other sometimes. What makes the news when believers are loving one another and getting along with one another? But no, you, you uh, have a feud or you have a disagreement between believers, and guess what? It's all over the place. Why? Because Paul says it's destroying your witness. You take care of those matters. And listen, as believers, we are not to go in front of unbelievers and talk down the church of Jesus Christ. Well, you know what so-and-so did to me, and we're talking to our non-believing friends, and we're talking to our non-believing co-workers, and we're talking to our non-believing family, and we're talking to the people that don't know Jesus, and we are trashing the church of Jesus, and we're trashing fellow believers. How in the world is your non-believing co-workers, or your non-believing family, or your non-believing friends ever going to come to Jesus when you talk them down so bad? Your words and your life is a witness. Talk about it here, but don't talk about it out there. It's really what Paul's saying. He says, you take care of it within your midst. It's not fair to load that onto someone who is not a believer because they already are not a believer. Why in the world would they want to become one if you're just filling their minds and filling their heads with ideas that all believers do is fight and all they do is can't get along and all they do is are at each other? Nobody's going to want a part of that. And so in our words and our witness, we can even destroy the non-believing world by the way that we don't deal with things in the kingdom, but we load that on to them. And so Paul says, settle these disputes within that Christian community, right? within those who are hopefully, and it's a big hopefully sometimes, acting like Jesus. But he goes on. He says, it's better to be wronged than to be the wrongdoer. In verse 7, he says this, the very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you have been completely defeated already. You know what he says to the Corinthians? Listen, Corinthians, you have these disputes and you're going to take them to court and you think you are, you're going to win in court. But guess what Paul says? The very fact that you took this dispute to the court means you've lost already. Even if you win the court case, you've lost the bigger case. 
Paul says that's what's happening. That's why we live in this different place within the kingdom of God. The Corinthians lived in a litigious urban culture. They, they took everybody to court. They sued for everything. Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Like, we, are, we, we, we live in a litigious place, and we live in a litigious, a litigious society in our lives. Somebody does something wrong, and guess what? We are suing, and we go. I go to McDonald's, and I get a cup of hot coffee, and I don't have, the lid's not on tight, and I drive away from the drive-thru, and the coffee, guess what happens? I'm like in a million-dollar lawsuit, and I win because of the hot coffee. So now, when you go to McDonald's, they put caution hot. You know, those things didn't used to be on coffee cups. Caution contents are hot. Why? Because most of us knew it's a coffee cup. The contents are going to be hot. I need to be careful. But now that's on there as a warning in case you spill your coffee on them. They can say, well, we warned you. Your coffee was hot. And so we live in that place in our lives. And Paul says this, you are doing this to one another and you've, you, you have lost already. Now, Paul's arguments are twofold. His first was the argument uh, from Jesus' life. His first example is the example of Jesus. And Paul says this, the attitude of demanding our rights all the time for every little slight is opposed to Jesus' teaching and his example. Ancient philosophers, as far back as Socrates, taught that it's always better to be wronged than to do wrong. Or they taught that it was better to wrong people instead of, like, get them, right, before you get yours. But not Jesus. He taught the opposite of what the philosophers... What did he teach us? Matthew 5, 39 says this. I tell you, this is Jesus, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, you punch him on the other side. Is that what he says? And if anyone wants to sue you to take your shirt, you sue him to take his house, his goat, his uh, kids, his wife. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, don't you dare go one inch. Is that what Jesus said? No, the total opposite. But isn't that what the world says? You do me and I'm going to do you. And I'm not going to do anything for you. Give to the one who asks and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And so Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount gives us this different way to live in the kingdom of God. And in 1 Peter, it says this, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Oh, man, we like to retaliate, don't we? Somebody says something about me, and I'm on Facebook all week, and I'm just doing it, and I'm getting back at them. I was wrong, and you're going to suffer. What happens is when I am wronged, and you're going to suffer, what does that make me? The wrongdoer. It's a, listen, it's a very fine line from being wronged to being the wrongdoer. And Paul says, it would be better for you to be wronged and to be cheated rather than to be the wrongdoer. He says, this is what, instead of alienating a fellow believer, requiring payment, and when Christians can't settle their grievances between themselves, one of them should be willing to just suffer personal abuse, injury, or loss rather than let the church of Jesus Christ be defamed. You say, well, that's hard. It is hard. 
That's what sent Jesus to the cross, right? Because Jesus, when he was going to the cross, he could have called down 10,000 angels, but he did it. He could have done all kinds of things, but what did he do? He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing, and I'm here. And so we all want to be like Jesus, except when it comes to stuff like this. But that's where the real test is. And the real test of my faith and the real test of my trust is to entrust myself to the one who judges justly. That's God himself. It's not an easy, but that's what Christ did. That's what makes us a difference between a fan or a follower. The, the fans want to retaliate, right? But the followers say, Jesus, I'm all in. And Paul says this, it's more, it's more, there is, it's, it's better to suffer a wrongdoing than winning litigation. Since winning litigation, he says, is already proof of the defeat you've already suffered. I've used this phrase a couple times, but we have to be very careful. It's called being captured by the spirit you oppose. It's very slippery. And if I'm not careful, the thing I'm opposing, I can become captured by that. I am so mad at you for becoming angry. What happened to me? I became angry. But I can be justified. You see, what happens is you did something to me, and I'm going to get back at you. But what happens is, now I am angry. And so I'm no better than the other person at that point. You anger me, and then I get angry at you for getting angry. And what happens is I'm angry. We're both angry. I'm captured by the spirit that I oppose. Oh, man, talk about social media today. Everybody is justified in saying whatever they want, whenever they want. But listen. If we are not careful, we will be captured by the spirit we oppose. In opposing hateful language, our language can become very hateful. In opposing things we don't like, we can become very unlikable people in the process. And that's what Paul's saying is, he says, what you need to do sometimes, you just need to grab the ball and go home. Just let it go. Because vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He's the only one who sees perfectly. He's the only one that sees all the things. And that's what Paul says. Paul says is is what? It is better to be wronged than to be the wrongdoer. He's not saying don't seek justice. He's not saying that you don't. We talked about that last week. If someone sins against you, you go to that person. Then you take some witnesses and you did them to the church. And we get to chapter 5 in the Corinthians. And Paul says, you know, you turn them over. No, he's not saying that. But what he's saying is you have to be careful that along the process of demanding that you have fairness and that 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 person just gets what they deserve, that you don't cross the line to becoming the wrongdoer yourself. Because we can be very justified in being angry. We can be very justified in our words. We can be very justified in the things that we do. And if we're not careful, we, we cross over that line. Captured by the Spirit, you oppose I'm such opposition to that spirit, whatever that is, that I start to become like that thing I'm against. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 15 says on your notes. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. That's the key right there. Again, it's not seeking justice. It's not, it's not seeking the forgiveness and reconciliation. It's not just saying, oh, everything's fine. I'm just going to move on my way. No, that's not it at all. But when I exhaust the means of dealing with those things, that I have to be careful that I'm not paying back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. And in Romans 12, 17, he says this, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Is that tough? Oh, man, it is so hard. 
there is something inside of us, isn't there, that we just want that, and we want to get back. And Jesus comes along, and what does Jesus say? And what does Jesus show us? He didn't even open his mouth. He went to the cross. And as believers in Jesus, that's what separates the fans from the followers. Am I willing to go to the cross? Am I willing to die to self? Am I willing to do that? You see, we have a new standing in Christ. Paul says in chapter 5 that we're not that we are this new batch of bread made without yeast. Don't you just love the smell of bread bacon? Oh, man. If you have gluten problems, I feel so bad for you. But I love the smell of uh, baking bread, right? And it's like... Oh, so good. And Paul says, you in Christ are this new batch because he was using yeast as the symbol for sin. In Christ, you, ha- you are forgiven of your sins. So you're, you are this new batch and you need to live up to this identity. And so what Paul is saying is that you have this new standing in Jesus. And because of this new standing and because of this new place, you live differently in your life. And so what he says is, it's, it's better to be wrong than to be the wrongdoer. But he says also, because you have this new place in Jesus, persistent wrongdoing or sin is incompatible with life in the kingdom of God. He says at the end of chapter, uh, at the beginning, middle of chapter 6 and verse 8, he says, instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brother. He says, you've been captured by the spirit that you oppose. And then he has some very hard words. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? What's wrongdoer? Somebody who is persistently, habitually doing the wrong. Listen, even the person in chapter 5 was continually doing this wrong thing. It is not that we mess up sometimes. Listen, we are not... We are not sin inspectors. <laughs> uh, some folks feel like that's their job, is to peer into your life and make sure you're not sinning and to make sure everything's right. And what's happening in their own life? They're ignoring a whole bunch of sins. But as long as I'm looking at yours, mine don't look so bad. So I, in fact, I can't even see mine when I'm looking at yours. So Paul is not, is not saying you need to go in and dig into everybody's life and be a sin inspector. But these things that he mentions, even with the incestuous man in chapter 5, It was something that was public. It was something that was blatant. It was something that was right out there. And so that's what he says at the end, in chapter 6, at the end of our passage for today. Sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, uh, men who have sex with men, thieves, greedy, drunkards, slanders, swindlers, will inherit. Who are those? He names these specific sins that these are people who are continually doing. And what what do all of those sins have in common? Self. They're all self-indulgent. And they're all self-fulfilling things. Paul has these called vice lists. He lists vices, right? And so he, in his vice list, he includes some things, but he also leaves some things out. But in the context of this Corinthian church, they are living in a very religious culture. They had pagan temples everywhere. And a lot of the things that Paul mentions are things that would have been associated with those pagan temples. Pagan meals and banquets were characterized by just this frequent opportunity for every sin that's mentioned in verse 9. So the Corinthians, when they looked at their culture, when they looked at their life, they would see the difference between the kingdom of God and this kingdom of the world. He says, therefore, what you have to remember is you need to remember that the things that were in your past, what? Stay in your past. Paul says this, 
You need to become what you really are. What are you really? You're a child of God. Amen? You're forgiven, right? You, you, your sins are not going to be held against you when you're in Christ, right? And so what Paul says is, you really are just living your life becoming what you already are in Christ. We get it backwards. We try to become something so that God loves us and accepts us. And God says, no, I've, I already love you. I've already accepted you in Jesus. You just become what you are already in Jesus. That was paid for you on the cross. Your life is just living to become what you already are in Jesus. It's not your good works. It's not your charisma. It's not any of that. You, I already see you this way. Now I want you to live like I see you. You know, we are our own worst enemies. When we look in the mirror, we don't see what God sees. We see someone who's messed up, someone who is maybe not lovable, somebody full of guilt and shame. But listen, if you are in Christ, all those things are, are gone as far as God is concerned. And now it's our jobs to be living up to how God sees us. I want you to think about your mirror as a two-way mirror. Not in one of those freakish, kind of scary hotel mirror things. But I want you to look at your mirror when you go in the bathroom to today or tomorrow morning. I want you to think about your mirror as one of those right, two-way mirrors. You see yourself, but who's looking through the other side? God. He sees you for who you really are. And what I need to do is I need to join him and see myself for who I really am. And that's, what Paul, that's all Paul's telling these Corinthians. He says, you are a new batch. You are this new person. You are this, this new thing. In fact, Corinthians is where he talks about the, right, the new creation. And he says, this is what you were. Persistently living like this. Paul is not talking about isolated acts of unrighteousness, but about a way of life that is pursued persistently by those who don't really understand who they are in the kingdom of God. That's what Paul's saying. It's the persistent, willful, uh, blatant disregard for what God wants us to be. Now listen, the enemy likes to get us in that place where when we mess up, we kind of feel like that, right? We're like, oh man, there's no way I'm going to inherit the kingdom now. I sinned. Oh no, there's no way I'm going to inherit the kingdom now. I've sinned. That's not what Paul's saying. He's saying it's that persistent, blatant disregard for what God has done in your life. And so he says this persistent wrongdoing is incompatible with life in the kingdom because you are in a place now that you weren't before. You are in a new life in Jesus. And so Paul uses this before and after illustration. He says, this is what some of you were and if this is what some of you were, that means you've given up those things. You're no longer swindlers and idolaters and idolaters. You've given those up. And if you are able to give those up, surely, Corinthians, you can give up suing one another. Surely you've come so far in your life. Look at the things he mentions. Those are hard things, right? But when the power of God and the word of God, we can get over the, the, the slanders, the swindlers. He said, surely you're not that anymore. Why are you not giving up your grievances from one another? Do, isn't there places in our lives where the, we feel like that sin has that hold? There's just that thing. We come to Jesus, we're all new and we're all, all excited. And yet there's this thing that we feel like I just can't let this go. There's just this thing. Paul says, 
that you were this. Live up to who you are. There is, there is power in the gospel. There is power in the Lord. There's power in the Spirit to help you to be what you are in Christ. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 6. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And so those who become these evildoers that Paul talks about is that it's repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. What do they say? The proof is in the pudding, right? And so you look at this person repeatedly over and over and over. Listen, there isn't a one of us in this room who hasn't sinned and messed up, probably even this morning. I bet if you forgot to set your clock, some of you probably cussed at that alarm clock this morning, right? That's different cussing at your alarm clock than that you're just a cusser right? And so don't let Satan get you in that place where he says to you, you messed up. It's all over. You see, there's a difference between willful sin and warring with sin. And we are to war with sin. And you know what happens in a war? There's two sides, and sometimes one wins the battle, and sometimes the other one wins the battle. Sometimes one is defeated, and one is defeated. And isn't that how that is in our lives? And we're trying to war with sin. Sometimes I, I win the battle, and sometimes I lose the battle. But ultimately, I'm still warring. Don't give up the fight. Don't just willfully say, well, it's over. I've blown it. I might as well. Whatever. No. Paul is saying this is that persistent place. And what he reminds us of is this. Continue in what you are so that you don't return to what you were. Sometimes in our lives, we forget what it was like to not know Jesus. The farther we go in whatever it is, even those who go to AA and are clean for five years, they forget in a way the pain But when they fall, what happens? It comes flooding right back. And if we're not careful, we can forget how far we have come. Listen, we have a long way to go in our lives, right? We all do. But sometimes we just need to stop and say, you know what? I have come a long way. And until in those moments in our lives, when we stop and we look back for how far we've come... We will be discouraged and we will say, you know what? I've never really changed. I've not changed much. Think in your life how far you have come. I'm not talking time. You can be in church for 50 years, just growing old and never grow up. But I'm talking in your image of Jesus. You've come such a long way. And what Paul wants to remind us is continue in what you are so that you don't return to what you are. Look what he says He says that you were these things. He says in verse 11, that is what some of you were. I love that word, were, don't you, when it comes to God? That those things in our lives, that we're not that anymore, but we are something today. And so Paul says this, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says to us that we continue in what we are so we don't, we, uh, so we don't return to what we were. There's a, very, there's a very subtle thing that happens in our lives. If we don't keep the edge, if we don't maintain our vigilance, if we don't keep up the things that we need to do, we will slowly start sliding back and we don't realize it until we're too far gone. You know the frog in the kettle illustration? You put a frog in a hot 
pot of water, the frog's going to jump out. But you put the frog in the room temperature water and you turn the heat on low, and after a while, the temperature's going to rise and the frog will die because he won't know that the climate around him is changing and he will cook himself to death. Listen, Satan wants you to be that frog in the kettle. Wants to keep you in that place where the temperature's rising, but I don't really notice it, and I don't really think anything's wrong, and I've kind of given up. I've kind of just taken it easy, and I've kind of coasted in my faith, and all of a sudden, I'm the cooked frog. And Paul says this, you need to be diligent. You need to maintain your vigilance. Look what Peter warned in 2 Peter chapter 2. I put this verse on your notes. He's talking about false teachers, but it's instructive for us as well. And so what he says is this. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome, what does he say? Are they better or worse off? They are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to his vomit and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. You know, you can't keep a pig clean. Trust me, you can't. You clean that thing, it's right out there in the mud wallowing again, right? And that's what uh, Peter was warning, and that's also what Paul is warning. He says, he says this, is that we need to maintain where we are because it, 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 we don't want to end up back at that place. And what does that take? That takes vigilance. It takes being in God's word. It takes prayer. It takes worship. It takes uh, relying on the power of the spirit. Right? It takes all those things because before we know it, we may be sliding back and end up at a place. And then we wake up one day and we say, how did I get here? I tell you how you got there. You gave up. You didn't maintain the fight. You didn't maintain your vigilance. You didn't do the things that you know you need to be doing. You know, it's like that, mom, that, that, uh, that moment of truth when you step on the scale after the holidays. You get on the thing. How, what happened? Well, it was one cookie at a time. Cookie, that's what happened. It didn't all, like, walking down the street and then just all jump, right? It was one at a time, at a time, at a time. And that's what happens in our spiritual life. We step on the scale, we're like, what happened? <laughs> it was one cookie at a time. One fruitcake at a time. One thing at a time, right? Do you ever move and you, th- you go to the garage and you put the door up and you're like, where did all this stuff come from? It came in one thing at a time. You didn't go to Sam's Club one day and take a U-Haul and pack that thing full of stuff and back it up in your garage and just stuff that garage in one day, did you? No, it happens one thing at a time. You go to your uh, clothes closet, you're like, where did I get all these shirts? You did not go to the store one day and buy 500 shirts. You bought one or two at a time. And over the years, what happens? It builds up. And that's all Paul's saying to us. You need to be careful because one day we're going to step on the scale. We're going to open the garage door. We're going to open the closet and we're going to say, where did all this come from? It came one thing at a time because we weren't vigilant, because we weren't diligent, because we weren't watching what we were doing. And so he reminds us, what does he say? He says that we continue in what you are. So that you don't return to where you were. And the problem is, you won't know where you are, where you were, until you get back there. It's so subtle. It's just that little bit, at a time, at a time, at a time. And I wake up one day, I'm like, how did I get here? Well, you got here one step at a time. Just like you get anywhere in your life, it's one step at a time. 
And so Paul is reminding us is that we were those places, but to be, he's writing to believers in Corinth who are persistently doing the things that they know they shouldn't be doing. Now you look at that and you say, wow, that's really hard. It's really, it's really scary. But here's the point. Jesus was wronged so that we could be right. This is the gospel. Look what 2 Corinthians 5 says. God made him who had no sin to be what? Sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen and amen. That Jesus was wronged so that we could be righteous. (laughs) That's what happened. He took on all our stuff so that God could declare us not guilty. That's what Jesus did for us. And so we look at all these things that Paul is challenging us to do. And what he's saying is Jesus came and he took all that on to him so that you don't have to take that on yourself, so that now you have the freedom to be what you are in Christ. God not only provided the means, he provides the power through the Holy Spirit. He provides the power through his word. He provides the power through prayer. He provides the power through repentance. You know what repentance is? Repentance just means a change of mind. January the 2nd, I step on the scale, and I'm like, oh no, I'm changing my mind. It is all broccoli and celery from here on out. That's what, I, that's what repentance is. Repentance in my life is, I'm at this place, and I look at this place, and how did I get here? But I don't want to be here, so I change my mind, and so I don't want to be here, and so I go to that place. But what Jesus does is, Jesus helps us and gives us the power in order to do that. Jesus died on the cross, he rose from the dead, and oh, glorious day, he's returning, Amen. And so we have that, we have that hope. And so because of Jesus paying the penalty for our sin, and when we submit to him, he gives us the strength in order to do that. And so Paul says that. He says, you were, you were, you were, you were in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. There it is. Listen, the secret to your success is not your success. It's what Jesus did on the cross. The secret to your successful life as a believer is not about your, your, your success in doing the thing. It's about what Jesus did. And because of what Jesus did, I live from that. The power and the victory comes from that. And so I just, I just become what I already am. Do you know what the real truth is? You need to hear this. In Jesus, what you are is greater than what you were. In Jesus... What you are is greater than what you were. Paul said he was the chief of sinners. Why would he call himself that? Because he killed people. He had orders to go and kill Christians. He was a murderer. And he had this place in God's kingdom. And we're reading the letter that he wrote to the Corinthians. A murderer. You love the Psalms, don't you? The Psalms were written by an adulterer and a murderer and a liar, and all of the things. But that's what God does to us. What you are is always greater than what you were if you're in Jesus. If you are in Jesus right now, where you need to tell yourself that in your head and believe it with everything in your being. What you are right now is greater than what you were. It's, a, it's, not even, it's not only greater than what you were before you came to Jesus, but you know what you are right now is greater than you were yesterday? 
And what you are tomorrow in Jesus is going to be greater than what you are today. Why? Because God's working and he's moving and he's challenging us. And because of that, we can come and we can say, Lord, here I am. I need some help. So are you a fan or a follower? You're like, well, I'm not really a big fan of this stuff. (laughs) I don't really know about this. But Jesus, in his death on the cross, pays the way for us to come to know him. That's the beauty of the gospel. And so you may have crawled in here today, not literally, but figuratively. You're like, whew, I, just, I survived that week. I cannot believe it. Guess what? Jesus is here to pick you up and to say, okay, let's work on this together and we can walk out of here a new place. What, what you are is greater than what you were. If I leave this place today and I commit myself to Jesus and I walk in his ways, guess what? When I leave this place today, what I am is greater than how I came in here. Why? Because I'm surrendering to Jesus. That's, that's, all Paul is, that's all Paul is saying, is we are mindful of where we are and how we live. And Paul says that there's this wonderful before and after in our lives. So the question is this. Are you living in the before or are you living in the after? Are you living as how you are or are you living as how you were? And what we need to make sure is that what we were stays in the past. Stays past tense. Because I'm moving on with Jesus and I'm living the life in him. So I don't know where you are in your faith walk today. But listen, what you are is what greater than what you were. When you leave, it can be greater than how you came in. Amen? That's the God that we serve. That's the God who loves us. That's the Jesus who died for us so that because of him being wrong, that I can be declared right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for all that you've done for us in Jesus. And Father, just remind us today again of who we are in you. That we can live up to to what we we have been created in Jesus as that new creation. And oh, Father, we just want to live by the world's principles sometimes. We want to We want to get our revenge. We want to get our one-uppance. We want to get all that stuff. But God, in the end, it's us who suffers. We are irritated and we become angry and we become all the stuff we don't like. And so, Father, if, if, if that's some of us today, will you just help us to see where we are so we don't stay there? We repent. We could come back and say, Lord, I, I don't want to be in that place. It snuck up on me so very quickly. And today I repent of that and I just give that back because that's not who I am. Father, we thank you for the Jesus who loves us and takes care of those things. Father, maybe we've we've really crawled in here because uh, we had just had a rough week or month or year. We've been beat up and we've been sinning and we've been... But God, today you're telling us that's what you were and what you are is going to be greater than what you were. And so, Father, we don't want to return back to those places and return back to those ways. And so for some of us over these next few moments, we just need to remember how far we've come. And just to be encouraged and not always be down on ourselves and so discouraged that we don't have it all together. We're not doing it all right. That we're not perfect. But it's okay because we've come so far with you. So, Father, for some of us, we just need to see that how far we have come 
in Jesus and give us encouragement and hope that we don't have to be down on ourselves. It's all because of him. And so, Father, just minister to us now over these next few moments as we continue to just surrender our lives, commit our lives to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand as we sing?